Law Nation, welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, your favorite place for learning about the world of alternative passive investing so that you can practice when you want to and not because you have to. So if you're ready to kick that billable hour to the curb, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint, which will also get you access to partnering with us on one of our next passive real estate investments. Okay, today, let's chat about that transition that journey to billing less and living more and obtaining financial freedom. There's more than one way to do it, obviously, and that's for sure. But one surefire way is to start investing today. Not tomorrow or the next day. Invest today in cash flowing investments. You're doing great in your career already. You're highly paid. You're doing fine. But instead of buying that new Land Rover, Maybe invest that active income that you've earned into a real estate syndication or a business. Do that first, then maybe buy the Land Rover, but start investing today. That should come first. Start building up your passive income streams a little bit at a time, or maybe a lot of bit at a time if you have a large chunk of capital saved until what I consider stage one, where you're able to cover all your basic expenses. I'm not talking about your expensive lavish vacations or $400 dinners, but I'm talking about your rent and, or your mortgage, your groceries, utilities, and other recurring expenses. For instance, me and my wife, that's a modest $80,000 a year that we need to cover our basic expenses. Then stage two is different for everyone. You can call your own stage two when you've achieved passive income streams equaling your active income stream, which can admittedly be difficult for high income earners like yourself. Or what I like to do is consider it a number in which you can live comfortably doing a lot of the things that you like to do. Those occasional $400 dinners, some big vacations here and there, and you know the hobbies that you enjoy doing. There's also stages three and four, but we'll get into those later. Let's really focus on achieving stages one and two. And if you're already there at stage one, you're financially free. Meaning if you walked away from your income, your active income job today, you would be fine. Your expenses are already paid by your investments. If you're at stage two, you're even further into financial freedom where you can live comfortably. You can live a joyful, happy, healthy, fun life just based on your investments and without your active income. Now, today's guest of honor, Michael Gilman, is a Brooklyn Law School grad and former Wall Street securities attorney. He's achieved financial freedom by replacing his active income with his income generated from his real estate investing. He's the founder of Cross Mountain Capital and has acquired over 500 units as the lead sponsor. All right, let's jump in. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Michael, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, Seth. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Excited to have you on. Um, I know you've got a legal background just like myself and a lot of listeners. So let's dive into that. It's always an interesting, interesting topic. So what's your story? Take it, feel free to take it back as far as you'd like. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, kind of take it back to college, went to a liberal arts school, graduated a liberal arts degree, didn't really know what to do, went to law school. Um, quickly discovered I didn't like it, um, but uh, it stuck it out. Anyway, I went to, uh, I, I went there on a full full scholarship over, over better schools uh, or high ranked schools. Um, that's school I went to. And so that was kind of a strong impetus. But um, yeah, you know, I remember my first day, I I walked into the lecture hall, like 200 people, everyone had their notebooks, you know, laptops out, diligently taking notes. And um, I, I knew right away things were going to be a little different. I was never a big uh, note taker, but um, uh, anyway, stuck it out and uh, was always uh, business minded, uh, you know, did a bunch of day trading back in my college days and uh, throughout law school, always business minded. And so one of the things I tried to do was was steer myself uh to go in-house uh, and you know i wanted to be more like in a direct business environment so um uh so i was in new york city at the time so i had some opportunities to intern on, on wall street i started my career uh at bank of america right after uh, they had ingested uh merrill lynch so i started in-house i was just supporting um you know lines of business trading businesses uh and uh, from a regulatory as well as a, a business line perspective. And, uh, you know, was in a few places done, kind of covered various, uh, pretty much all, all your typical uh, Wall Street business lines uh, at some point. But, um, you know, early on, I knew right, you would say two, two years out of law school, I knew um, that the, the way forward wasn't, wasn't the, the legal practice or even, um, you know, even working at a company because ultimately you're you're trading time for time for you know your your hours for uh, for money, and and so being on on Wall Street, I had a unique opportunity to kind of cycle through trading desks and through the business lines and see who's making money, how are they making money, like how volatile is it, is it stable? And so I kind of looked around, looked at asset classes, and uh, really came to the realization that real estate seemed to be one of the best. Uh, ways to build uh wealth over the long term um and so i started uh say early on two three years after law school i started investing uh, here uh, in, in regional markets in new england some high cash flow non-competitive markets and with the goal of uh, eventually building up a portfolio to cash flow portfolio to replace my um w2 income because i knew I, I didn't want to do uh law law for for uh, for um and so my first thought was just safe cash flowing investment so i was my strategy at the time was just tertiary markets high cash flow markets that don't fluctuate too much in value but but, but have high cap rates it was kind of buy and hold stable um just because i didn't have the time to really focus on repositions or, or you know pretty involved strategies and so that's how i started um you know ultimately started transitioning my career more towards real estate i had the opportunity to leave uh Wall Street to go to uh, a, a real estate startup uh, that was uh, venture backed and by some uh, pr pretty big funds. Uh, and I had the opportunity there to um, branch out outside of legal. I was the head of legal, but I also managed the, uh, the company's real estate portfolio due to my uh, experience with my own portfolio. I mean, by this time I had like amassed about uh, uh, 50 units for myself. Um, again, not not through a partnership or anything, just kind of my own capital. Um, again, with the sole aim of just replacing uh, my salary one day. But, you know, being in the venture cap space, that's when it really started to dawn on me about, you know, the, why not um, 
pool capital, raise capital. I saw how easy it was uh, in this space. People were just throwing money at um, companies that didn't make money and, and had such a high degree of risk that I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my real estate returns over time where I basically did nothing, uh, just buy, buy and hold cash flow. And so this is a no brainer. It's so much less risk, uh, so much more money. And so ultimately I, um, I left to uh, uh, do larger transactions, start my own firm, uh, Cross Mountain Capital, uh, Pool Capital, and do uh, larger deals and expand our strategies. Uh, we focus a lot now uh, on, on various strategies we could get into, but definitely expand it outside of that core kind of cash flow component. Yeah, man, that there's a lot to unfold there, man. I mean, the first thing is... <laughs> Sorry, I just kept going. Yeah, you might as well, man. I'll have to rewind it back a little bit. But, you know, the first thing that, that stuck out to me was, you know, you, you said you didn't know what to do. So you went to law school. I think uh, a lot of folks can relate with that. I, I know I personally can. I, you know, I went to med school first and hated that. I dropped out and then I got my MBA because I didn't know what else to do. I thought it might be a good idea. And then I was like, still kind of stuck in that trading time for money get the best job mindset. And that's why I decided, well, I guess the next best job I can get if I'm not going to be a doctor is to be a lawyer. Um, so that's kind of the route that I did. I was like, eh, I guess I'll just go to law school. Um, <laughs> and then you kind of get stuck there and you're like, okay, now what? Um, but that's awesome that you, you did well there. You went to a great school, you got a good job um, and you're able to, you know, at least use that. I, I, I'm assuming use a lot of that active income that you're producing from your legal profession and, and put that into um, cash flowing real estate that you had mentioned. Absolutely. That, I mean, that was crucial. That, that's what allowed me to do it my, myself and not um, have to partner right off the start, which actually, I actually think partnering is very important. And um, I'd say if I would rewind it, I, I would have partnered earlier because uh, I would have gotten to where I need to be faster. But uh, yeah, I did, you know, plow it in kind of brute force. You know, yeah. Say things. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a couple of different ways to do it, right? You can do it like you did it and start investing actively buying assets yourself or partnering with other people to buy assets yourself, or, you know, now you're raising capital from other folks. So, you know, those, those folks are investing passively with you. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a give take on your time and effort and, and your passion, how much you actually want to put into it. A lot of people, you know, they understand that real estate is a great investment, but maybe they're not, you know, they don't love it like we love it, right? Like we, we dig yeah. in, we, we, we enjoy it. Um, some people might not be that way, but they do want exposure to it. And they understand that that's a, a great path to, to financial freedom and to start building uh, less hours. And, and you've been able to do it from the active side pretty quickly. It sounded like you were able to um, stockpile some assets yourself, you know, within 50 units within a few years, um, which is, which is incredible, man. Yeah, you know, ultimately it was, um, I, I was in, I'd say on my W-2 for about eight, eight years. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, and, and investing, I'd say f out of five of those. So again, it, it, it was a slow build just because I went at it alone. But again, if I, you know, what's funny is I discovered kind of podcasts and bigger pockets later on. And I feel like I've learned more from those sources than I ever learned, um, you know, law school or business environment. It's really kind of fantastic stuff out there. Um, so I probably, again, would have done that faster to accelerate my, uh, you know, my unit count. Yeah. What, what um, advice would you have for attorneys that have a, you know, high paying corporate job, maybe in Bank of America or some, some corporate setting like that, or, you know, at a big law firm, should they go about it the active way or the passive way, or, you know, maybe uh, both? I think it depends um, what your passion is. If, if you're 
passionate about business and you want to get into the, into the business, then absolutely go after it the active way. You know, it's, it's, um, it becomes much more like a business, especially when you scale and have to build out processes. And especially if you get into the, the management aspect, which we have. Um, but the, so I would say, start with that. What's your passion? If it's just like a pure investment, then certainly, uh, more on the passive side makes sense. Uh, otherwise actively, uh, jumping in makes sense. And I think, uh, to start out, it always makes sense just to do your own little deal to start somewhere. Um, you know, the, being, especially, uh, in, in big law, uh, we are working 80 to hundred hours a week or whatever. It's hard, right? That's the excuse. Well, I don't have time for that. How am I going to do that? But you can always make time. Um, it, it, it's always possible. Um, so where there's a will, there's always a way. And it's just important to get started. I, I think part of the thing is, um, right, attorneys are traditionally risk averse. So it's it, it's kind of thinking with a, with a different side of your brain. Yeah, obviously analyze the deal. But, um, you know, at some point you have to trust your intuition and, and kind of your passion and what you think is the path forward. And it's not it's not going to be sitting there, you know, and wishing you're going to do something. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned some really important things there. I mean, if you talk to any real estate investor, you know, our age or, you know, in, in this similar age range, they'll they'll tell you they started listening to Bigger Pockets podcast, right? You start listening to Bigger Pockets and that kind of gets you excited about investing in, you know, smaller stuff like single families and then you kind of work your way up and, and go from there. So it's pretty interesting to hear, you know, to continue hearing people talk about, you know, that as kind of their their self-education journey. And that that's part of it is is the self-education. You're not going to learn this stuff in law school. You don't learn it in undergrad. You don't learn it, you know, it, with your formal normal education. You have to go out and you have to get this information from podcasts, from books, from YouTube um, to, to learn this specialized knowledge. And, and it usually gets you excited and gets you moving in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, you'd mentioned about attorneys being risk averse, you know, we're, we're kind of taught to be that way, right? I mean, we're taught to think about risk, think about liabilities, and that kind of puts us in a situation where, you know, maybe we apply that to our own lives, unfortunately, uh, with investing. And we think of, a lot of times you think of real estate investing as, as risky, which is weird, right? Because it's not when you compare it to, I mean, look at the volatility in the stock market today. That's risky to me. You know, having one active income stream without any other income streams. That's risky to me. Investing in real estate, which is stable and consistent is, is not risky in my book, um, at least on a, you know, on a comparative basis. I mean, yeah, the cash flow, and that's how, you know, I started investing for, for cash flow. Um, I, I think in, in terms of risk, that's the safest way to invest in real estate and kind of there's different parameters. You start entering more speculative markets with, with lower cap rates, but, um, you know, each strategy has its own advantages and disadvantages. Yep. Yeah. But then one, one more thing that you mentioned about, you know, people say they don't have enough time, right? They don't have enough time to invest or they don't have enough time to learn something new, how to invest in real estate. Well, you can make time. I mean, you, you have the time, you just need to figure out where you can, where you can carve that out. And then, you know, the other side of that is I don't have enough money. Well, you make $500,000 a year. How do you not have enough money? It's because you spend it all on stuff that you don't need. You need to be putting that into assets that are cash flowing and give you returns back and then maybe spend those returns on some of those things that you want, but you've kind of got to get your, get your house, your financial house in order um, to be able to succeed in the long run. Yeah. 100%, you know, on that point, right. I, I never uh, bought a fancy car, still don't have one to uh, drive a, a old Subaru. 
uh, always a kind of plowing into things that appreciate and not things that are transitory or depreciate. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the, your transition out of your legal practice. Um, now that you're officially all the way out, what did, what did that look like? Was it all at once? Was it kind of gradual or how did you kind of make that transition out? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'd start by saying I'm not completely out. I, I hung a shingle at a friend's law firm just to, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get involved in, in some friends deals or, uh, other things. Um, but just, uh, I don't know, it, it always felt like I put so much time and energy into it. It'd be a shame to leave it, but right. I, I'm still, you know, I'd say probably spend maybe two to 3% of my time on, on legal. Um, but you know, it, it was in stages. It was, um, first, uh, investing, then focusing on investing, building that, uh, stream and, and being able to put myself in a position that, that there's something that could replace, right. That, that W2. And then at the same time, actively trying to shift my career more to real estate, um, in ways that I could through, through my legal practice. Um, and ultimately, uh, because of the experience I developed as an investor with my own assets, I was able to actually probably that into a, like a hybrid legal uh, business job. And ultimately, um, again, when COVID hit, which I feel like was a big transition point for a lot of people. Um, and just again, seeing, uh, being in this environment where and seeing how easy it was to raise capital, that was finally like the, the moment it really dawned on me um, that, uh, you know, it, it was time to really take action. You know, I was always waiting for my personal portfolio to get a little bigger, uh, get a little more cash flow, and there was there's never going to be a time where you uh, where you feel, where you feel like it's enough. It, it's always scary to just jump, um, and uh, yeah, it, it was it, it felt like a big leap, like you know, kind of jumping off into the unknown. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you do you think that your legal background helped you? succeed in this current business? It sounds like it did. I mean, it gave you some opportunities with, you know, seeing Wall Street and then with a private equity firm and, and then kind of, you know, using those, the, using the skills that you learned in, in some of those positions to what you're doing now today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, from a knowledge perspective, understanding how the capital markets work, funding, lending, real estate closings, all the structures behind that um, is definitely helpful. Uh, certainly the the network you build, especially on Wall Street, um, and for terms of future investors, or uh, it was definitely helpful. But ultimately, the most helpful thing of all was was, was doing it. You're, you know, just doing it and making the leap. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's talk more about kind of what you guys are looking at now. What 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 kind of um, investments are Cross Mountain looking at? And what's your investing strategy? What types of properties? Geographies? Yeah, so we're in um, two kind of uh, regional markets. One is the Mountain West, primarily in Colorado, all across the Front Range. Uh, so, so that's a you know a lower cap rate market, and what we try to do there um, is first and foremost we do a lot of off market uh, acquisitions. We have dedicated um, dedicated off market search team. We work with a company called Offered uh, O F F E R D dot com. They, they've been great in terms of mining uh, off market assets. They go out and contact these people directly. Um, and, and so we've done a, a few deals that way. And we try to do uh, repositions like your classic neglected asset or mismanaged uh, and with heavy value add, really capitalize on that low cap rate environment, getting a lot of bang for your buck out of uh, 
your cat, you know, every dollar you spend. And we're still on, we're active in uh, New England in uh, New Hampshire and Vermont, uh, Vermont's where I started investing. You know, what's funny is uh, I started investing there from, um, just cause I like going up there for skiing and outdoor activities and I said, Hey, I, I, you know, I felt like I needed to be able to visit my properties. Um, so that was, uh, one of the things that, that drove me there, but, um, yeah, so up there where, uh, that's more of a higher cash flow market, but plenty of, of value add, but we look to do longer, uh, holds there because the assets, uh, cash flow so well. Um, then we, we, we get into other stuff. We have some self-storage. We do some light development, um, which I would do more of if it was easier. What we've gone into is these prefab cabins, uh, super cheap to put up about $60,000 just for the cabin, the site work, you could pr probably get it all in. We get them all in for like 75 K a pop next to these mountain towns, mountain resorts. And, and they just, uh, Airbnb so well. That's a great return on investment, just really hard to uh, build them at scale because of uh, permitting and development issues. Um, we're doing, uh, we have a commercial deal we're doing, which is a triple net lease uh, supermarket that, that we are closing on shortly as part of a portfolio. So actually, and because the assets out there in New England are, are smaller in, in these rural markets in New Hampshire and Vermont, we try to aggregate portfolios to get bigger deals. And, and that's a different type of strategy also, because you have a lot of flexibility there. And, how you dispose of assets. Yeah. And I, I think I saw somewhere you guys are vertically integrated, meaning that you have, you know, con in-house construction and property management. Is that right? Yeah. And so this is, um, is, uh, originated, uh, so our, my affiliated entity, MSA properties, it manages all our, uh, portfolio in throughout Vermont, which is, uh, north of about 300 units and closing on about 50 more soon. And that really grew out of necessity. Um, it's honestly not a business I really wanted to be in. Uh, it's my least favorite part of the business, but it's, um, you, you know, in a market like that, it, it, it's a rural market, tertiary, almost a frontier market. There's no, um, there's no good uh, operators from management perspective. It's everything. So we kind of had to build everything from, from the ground up um, in order to be able to manage these portfolios and, you know, these properties and optimize them. And so we only manage our own stuff. Uh, and it's really, to me, a uh, ancillary to to uh, making sure that uh, portfolio is performing just because there's really no, there's no one you could really hire out there. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys think you have some advantages? I know that's not necessarily a business you wanted to, to be in, but now that you are, do you think that gives you some advantages? Yeah, it, you know, especially in a market like that where there's not many uh, sophisticated uh, operators, not many, not anyone doing anything of scale, it gives us a lot, a, a lot of advantage for sure. It's kind of like being a bigger fish in a, in a small pond. Yeah. Um, you know, out west in Colorado, we, we've been fortunate to find uh, a great uh, GC uh, property management company that we've developed strategic uh, joint venture relationship with. Uh, they invest alongside with us on, on, on deals. And so we're tightly integrated there. We use the same um, uh, property management system front ends. So, you know, we're, it's not your typical kind of third party property manager. It's more of a strategic integration because it would, um, it was just too formidable and, and not probably not, wouldn't have been effective to try to build it out in a, you know, different market that, that I'm not even close to. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, have you always been attracted to these different types of assets? I know you mentioned, you know, a few different types of things uh, that you guys are getting into. Um, or has it been a necessity of kind of the competitive market in the in the multifamily space? Yeah, so I'd say it's um, been out of a the competitive multifamily market. When when I looked around, felt like Class C, a multifamily just seemed a little safer with with, with a cash flow cushion and higher cap rates. And then always the kind of you know it's really simple strategy, but just the 1960s, 70s vintage, or, or anything older, just renovating it is. is um, really was kind of always you can make the numbers work uh, on a deal if you have that kind of asset. And and so you could always buy it comfortably. I mean, assuming it's not, it's priced, you know, properly, but um, it always seemed to me like that was a, a safer way, you know, forced appreciation was, was the safest kind of way to invest. Yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned some, some heavy value ad plays, like what, what kind of money are you putting in on a per unit basis? I'm just curious for myself. Yeah, so um, we average about if we're doing a gut renovation, new you know f- flooring, uh, kitchens, cabinets. Uh, not not talking about any electrical or demolition or anything like that. We say on a one bedroom, normal size, probably around eight hundred, eight sorry, eight thousand to to around. We try to stick to that eight thousand spot. Gotcha. Uh, cool. and p- pushes up obviously if you get larger and two bedrooms starts again to the 10,000 plus range. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about mindset. I know we, we kind of touched on, you know, your transition out of the law and, and into real estate investing full time. And a lot of, a lot of our listeners out there are interested in, you know, real estate and maybe they don't want to transition all the way out, but they're, they're interested in building less hours and, and working less and, and, and things like that. But what do you think, kind of separate successful people like yourself who've taken action and control their lives and, and, and compare that to folks who just kind of complain about it and, and never get out. What do you think separates that? Yeah. So I, you know, I think it's that taking action part, right? So, you know, I, I, in this position, right, you're, you're, especially attorneys, you've, you've, you're, these are, you're, you're a high performing individual. If, if and you tend to excel, uh, you know, a lot of these types tend to excel where there's a goal in front of you, like the LSAT or a grade or passing class. And, you know, you can blow it out of the water, but if you have to set that kind of goal or parameter yourself, that I think that's where it might start to break down, uh, where, where there's no kind of external force pushing you, where it has to come from within. I think that's where where, where it really, the rubber meets the road. So it's, it's about setting that goal and actioning it and, and taking that risk and um, not being afraid, uh, not being afraid to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it, it helps kind of putting yourself and I always call, I'll call this networking. It's kind of networking where you put yourself around other people that are doing that they're taking action. They're investing in real estate. They're buying businesses. They're, they're doing things like that. They have kind of that entrepreneurial spirit um, and, and kind of taking yourself away from just the, you know, being around, the same type of people all the time and it expands your mind and gets you thinking and, and that kind of propels you and, and pulls you in that direction so that you can take you know to get enough impetus to, to take action and, and to do something for yourself but if we always surround ourselves with the same people that we always have and it's kind of this homogenous group of people you know what it's hard to it's hard to take action without something happening unfortunately and a lot of times that's kind of what you hear is you know maybe you got fired or 
um, you know, something, a health scare or death or something like that happens and that kind of flips the light switch for people. Um, so to be able to skip that step, it'd be, it's great to, to network and put yourself around entrepreneurial folks. Yeah, 100%. I, 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 I think that's huge. And especially in this day and age where it's so easy to do that, you don't even have to leave um, your, your room, which actually for someone like me I, I, is awesome. I don't, I don't particularly like um, going to events, but it makes it so easy that it, it's kind of hard to, 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 you know, do an excuse. Like even, you know, I'm kind of an introverted person, but look, here I am doing this, this podcast. It's, it was just the click of a button. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that's paramount and to not take advantage of it now in today's age where it's so accessible, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And you nailed it. I mean, the, the pandemic really accelerated that. I mean, if, if you can think back to before the pandemic, jumping on a Zoom call with someone like this, I mean, it, it was an odd thing to do. It, it wasn't like acceptable, accepted like it is now. It's just, it was kind of a little, it was a little bit weird now it's just normal. Like everybody's like, Hey, let's do a zoom call. Let's have a meeting over zoom. Like, you know, let's have a cup of coffee over zoom. Like, it's just like a normal thing to do. But before the pandemic, it was, it wasn't that way for the masses. Yeah. All right, brother. Um, before we jump into the freedom 40, you have one last golden nugget for our listeners. Um, you know, the, I'd say don't be, a uh, network, find a group you like and, and learn and B, don't take action. And the sooner you, you, you do those things, um, the faster you'll get to where you want to be. Absolutely, man. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Uh, exercise and specifically um I'm a big, uh, love the outdoors, exercising outdoors. So winter sports in the winter and tra you know, trail running and the other off seasons. So trail running is a big way I've, I found I've, um, kind of sort through problems and meditate. You, you kind of get in this rhythm where you're not going too fast and a comfortable heart rate. And you could just really solve uh, some problems I, I found as well as restore yourself, rejuvenate yourself. So, um, exercising in nature, I found is very restorative. I, I try to do that course, uh, hitting the gym uh, a few days a week, say are the, are the big two. Um, try to do some light meditation. Uh, always, I find uh, to be one of the most difficult things to, to quiet the mind. But yeah. Very restorative. Yeah. Is that a reflection of the name of your of your company? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, where I started, it started, we started investing in Vermont, which is a rural, you know, mountainous, uh, you know, kind of, um, state and uh the we found the um you kind of quality of the tenant the types of tenants the, the the types of people that states like that draw um made it uh, very compelling for us um and uh you know i felt like i, I really liked visiting the properties uh, for uh, in the beginning that was important to me so i really wanted to invest somewhere where i was spending a lot of time um you know, as, as you scale, that becomes a, a little less important, but uh, certainly we try to focus on markets that um, promote the outdoors uh, and, and kind of the life, our, our health and uh, lifestyle oriented, which is also coinciding with this big, uh, I think, generational shift in migration, right? You see people pouring out of these big cities and they, because they're, they're free, they can now live in these uh, destination towns that were previously only um for 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 visiting, and I think that's one of the 
the biggest shifts uh, that, that we see today and that coincides with our investment model. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really smart way to think about things. With, with all your success, what is one limiting belief that you've crushed along the way and how did you get past it? Um, you know, just feeling that I, I had to get to a place where I was very safe before I could really pursue you know, real estate and doing what I want to do full time. Just feeling that I was kind of always one step away or needed some more buildings or things weren't set um, and that the moment wasn't ready. So that just the sooner you're, you, you know, people, no one really realizes what they're capable of until they set out to do it. And, and the, the bigger the challenge you could set for yourself, the, I think the better right off the, the start. So kind of not setting the, not scaling fast enough, not uh, is, is probably one, one of my big regrets. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're, if you're not uncomfortable, then you need to push yourself just a little bit further. What's one actual step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom? I'd say pick a market you want to invest in um, and start following the real estate in that market, seeing the deals, uh, underwriting them back a napkin. I mean, you could underwrite something in, in really three minutes. You just need the NOI. You need the cap rate, the NOI. It, it's, you don't even have to put a model in. You could um, you get, I mean, in the beginning, it takes longer, but you quickly get to a point where you can look at these deals and tell uh, if it might make sense. So first is just being exposing yourself to what's what's on the market, what's the pricing, you know, what are things going for, what kind of strategy can you deploy? I think that's the best way to get started. Um, I personally, I remember getting started. I just had a bunch of uh, filters up in the markets I was looking at, and every day I'd get listings. I'd look at them to like a back and napkin analysis, and then one day I saw this building. And it just made sense. And I was like, wow, these numbers are great. And that was my first deal. And it yeah. came off uh, the internet. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Last but not least, how has passive income made your life better? Uh, yeah, control your time, you know, how you want to do something, when you want to do it. Um, just freedom over, over everything and being able to spend time with uh, family. You know, I have a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So just being able to be there as they're growing up. Uh, has been huge. Absolutely, man. Mike, this has been great. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Sure. Uh, you could check out our website, uh, crossmountaincapital.com. And we have an ebook there, which uh, talks about why real estate, what we think it has the best risk adjusted returns uh, compared to other asset classes. So you could definitely check that out. And otherwise our, you know, our strategies and our properties are all up there. Awesome, man. We'll drop all that in the show notes. All right, man. Again, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, talk soon. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Love that conversation with Mike. His story should be a great inspiration on how you too can get out of the rat race with just a little bit of sacrifice and some intelligent investing strategies. Major key from this episode, buy back your time piece by piece. You hear me say it all the time, but when I say it, I mean it. Invest in one deal. Get started. That, get it into one deal that produces cash flow. Invest in another and another and another. They're going to snowball. And soon your passive income will cover your basic expenses. And eventually it'll cover your active income or at least your expenses so that you can live happily and comfortably. But first, you've got to start. So if you're ready for a change and ready to take action, partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals. Go to passiveincomeattorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. All right, kiddos, 
As always, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.